You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Our scripture reading as well as our text this afternoon is taken from the Old Testament book of Exodus chapter 3, the verses 11 to 14, and thereafter the verses 1 to 17 of chapter 4. As you can see at the beginning of chapter 3, the heading, Moses and the Burning Bush. And we take up the story in verse 11 to verse 14 and then on to chapter 4. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose that I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am. They sent me to you. Then we continue on to chapter 4, verse 1. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake. And he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, says the Lord, is so that you may believe, or that they may believe, that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. And the Lord said, Put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was leprous, like snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first miraculous sign, they may believe the second But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, O Lord, please send someone else to do it. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and his heart will be glad when he sees you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak, 
and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so that you can perform miraculous signs with it. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, today is Mother's Day in Canada. And in many homes, flowers, cards, and hugs will be the order of the day. And what this means is that we also take some time out to reflect on those who gave us birth and to express our appreciation to them, as well as to our grandmothers for all the love, the care, and the goodness that they have showered upon our lives. Today, however, is also something else. It's the day on which Keith and Nadia have had their first child, their daughter Emma, baptized as one of God's covenant children. And it's the day on which Colin and Elise have had their ninth child, a daughter, baptized as well. For Keith and Nadia, it's only beginning. For Colin and Elise, it's halfway. I think we can also be assured that from now on, these children will live in a special relationship with their Heavenly Father. God's promises of adoption, forgiveness, and renewal will sustain and beckon them always. But today as a church, we mark also something else, namely the ordination and installation of new elders and deacons. Men who have served faithfully over the past three years will get a rest And men whom you have chosen will step into the breach and take their place. And under the blessings and the guidance of the Lord, the work of pastoring this congregation will go on. Altogether then, we might say we have three special events here this afternoon. But of course you may be wondering, how do we do that? How do we link all of these three special events together? What do they have in common? Now, you will admit that is somewhat of a challenge. But I think the way to meet it is by asking the question, what exactly is it that these three events before us this afternoon have in common? Now, you may look at them briefly or outwardly and decide that really they have nothing in common. They're all very different. But are they? Are they really? Look again and search for the common bond. It is there. And it's called serving. What mothers do, what parents do, what deacons and elders do, all falls under the same heading of service. Mothers serve their households. Parents serve their children. Office bearers serve the members of the church. You can say all of them are in the service industry. Yes, and they're not alone in this. As such, they're part of a huge and mighty throng of servants throughout the ages. And that also brings us to our text of this afternoon. It's very much a text about serving. It's also a text about Moses. 
Moses as a very reluctant servant. But above all, it's a text about God and how he deals with Moses and by extension with us as well. So I preach to you this afternoon on the following theme, how God deals with Moses and often with other reluctant servants. And we shall see that he appoints, he equips, and he insists. Oh, beloved, no doubt the text of this afternoon is familiar to many of you. After all, it's part of a well-known Old Testament story, the story of the burning bush. Here Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro on the side of Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And he came across a very strange sight. He saw a bush that was burning, but it was not consumed. No doubt he saw the fire from some distance away, and he approached it, and he probably wondered how it was that it had caught fire in the first place. And then as he drew closer, he noticed that its leaves and its branches were on fire. But they didn't turn black. And they didn't disintegrate into dust and ashes either. He looked at this bush and he was bewildered. And he was fascinated. But then as he drew near, it also did something else. It shocked him. For out of the bush, it appears that someone was calling his name, Moses, Moses. And in fear and trembling, he replied, here I am. And thereafter, the voice identified itself. It was the voice of God. It was the God of his father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Amazing, stunning, but also perplexing. What an event. But there is more, for as this God spoke, one thing became clear, and it was this, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God, as it were, pointed his finger at Moses and said, You are the man. You are my ambassador. You are my spokesman. You my servant. Now you'll understand that's an honor, a great honor. Only when Moses finally calms his heart and catches his breath, he didn't take it that way at all. For he responded, and you see that in verse 11, by saying, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Quite simply, his response was, why me, Lord? Indeed, why little, insignificant, ill-equipped me? Here God had come to him in a very special way, with a very special task. And Moses was instantly overwhelmed. And he thought, this is not for me. It's all beyond me. God has made a huge mistake. He's picked the wrong guy. This job is just too big for me. I don't have the talents or the abilities. No way, I'm not fit for it. And God needs to find somebody else. 
Now I think, beloved, that you and I can in a way identify with this, right? We can perhaps well understand the plight of Moses. It's the case of a little, little man being given a big, big job. Imagine, just imagine if God were to come to you and to say to you, I want you to go to President George Bush and I want you to tell him a very nasty message from me. Now I realize George Bush isn't Pharaoh and America isn't Egypt and we're not in captivity. But still you catch a little of the flavor. What God wants for Moses is just too big, too much, a bridge too far. But of course, Moses is not the only one to experience this particular sense of being overwhelmed by God. Perhaps there are days when you mothers here this afternoon wonder whether or not perhaps mothering is all beyond you anyway. And there may well be days when you, Keith and Nadia, and you, Colin and Elise, will wonder whether or not parenting itself has not become the impossible task. Well, what about pastoring? What about being an elder or a deacon in the church of God? Some days it just seems way beyond our capacities. See, beloved, there are those times and those moments in this life when we look at what God demands and expects of us and we throw up our hands and we say, Who am I? Who in the world am I? And you know what? God understands that. When Moses stepped back and said, Who am I? God stepped forward and said these reassuring words, I will be with you. In other words, Moses, I am not throwing you to the wolves to fend for yourselves. You are not going all alone. No, I will walk beside you every single step of the way. Moses was assured of the abiding presence and nearness of his God. You see, God's recipe for our insignificance has everything to do with his promise to accompany us his servants. Yes, and that's a promise that he keeps on repeating throughout the, the Scriptures. Why, in the New Testament, we hear it from the lips of the Lord Jesus himself as he departs into heaven. He says to his servant apostles and to his entire church, but surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Moses needed to realize that God was not giving him a job to do all by himself. Indeed, we all, as God's servants and children, need to realize that this is not how our God operates. 
When he gives you mothers, when he gives you parents, when he gives you deacons and elders a task to do, even when it looks like, humanly speaking, an impossible task, he'll be there with you. He'll be there beside you. And that is truly reassuring. But it doesn't always allay all of our fears, does it? Moses heard what God said, but he was not satisfied. Read verse 13 and listen to his reply. Suppose I go to the Israelites and they say, and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, what's his name? Then what shall I say? Moses was convinced that he needed more than simply God's presence. He wanted God's identity. Who is this God really? What am I going to say when I'm asked about him? Who is he? And again, God understood this. For look at what he said next. I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now what does that mean? What was God saying here about himself? Well, he was telling Israel and he was telling Moses that not only is he the God of their fathers, but he's also their God. He's the same God. He's the same unchangeable, dependable, faithful God. In other words, he's a God who doesn't change. His power, love, mercy, goodness, you name it, they're all constants. Yes, and that's something that Moses and Israel needed to know. But that's something that we need to know as well. The God who travels with us through this life is no flake that we cannot depend on. He's not some toothless tiger who cannot defend you. He's not some local limited deity who promises great things but delivers zilch. No, he's Yahweh. He's the great I am. The God of the covenant who speaks and who acts, who commits and who delivers. The mighty God of heaven and earth goes with us. Yes, and he promises to go with Moses too. But nevertheless, Moses still didn't get it. You turn to the next chapter, chapter 4, and there he continues to resist. He says to the Lord, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? In other words, Lord, you've given me this huge job and you've promised to go with me, but what if? Now, is that ever familiar language? How often do we not too, and especially as if we're faced with a huge task 
or, or with an insurmountable obstacle, not say, what if? Lord, what if my health fails and I can no longer take care of my children? Lord, what if we don't receive the financial means and resources in order that we need to raise a family? And Lord, what if the members in my particular ward or district happen to be rather difficult and contrary? Oh, we can so easily imagine all kinds of bears on the road. And we so easily immobilize ourselves with our mites and our maybes. We're experts in hesitation. We're skilled at manufacturing worst-case scenario. And again, God knows this. He turned to Moses and he asked him, where is, or what is, in your hand? And he replied, the staff. God ordered him to throw it on the ground and it became a snake. And Moses hightailed it out of there quick. But God called him back. And God told him, take hold of the tail of the snake. And he did. And it became a staff again. What a neat trick. What a great weapon in the arsenal of Moses. But God's not finished. God tells him to put his hand inside his cloak and then to pull it out again and to look at it in horror and horrors. It is white with leprosy. And before Moses has a heart attack on the spot, God tells him to put it back in his cloak and take it out again. And it's just as healthy as the rest of his flesh. Another great trick. And so Moses receives two dramatic signs from the Lord. But that's not all. God even promises him a third. He told him he would even turn water into blood. Now, was Moses finally satisfied? Were his fears put to rest at last? No. For in verse 10, there's another objection. This time, it's all about being tongue-tied. I am slow of speech and tongue. But again, God has an answer for him. And this time, the answer was that he is the God of speech and hearing and sight. He created all of these abilities. And nothing can prevent him from giving them to Moses. If what Moses needs is a mouse, God will give him a mouse. All in all, beloved, the picture that emerges here of Moses is not a very flattering one. He seems to have been a specialist in building roadblocks, inventing excuses, and raising objections. And at bottom, we even kind of think that he comes across as a coward. But on the other hand, our God, our God shows himself to be a God of great understanding and of infinite patience. But not only that, 
He also shows himself to be a God of boundless resources and an endless commitment to equip, to supply, to give, and to furnish. Not only is he God, not only is he the great I am, he's also the God who ensures that his children will receive the tools and the talents and the means that they need to serve him. Mothers receive health and wisdom from him. Parents receive the financial means. Elders and deacons receive the strength and the patience that they need. For you see, in the church of Jesus Christ, no one is given a task by the Lord that he cannot handle or a burden that he or she cannot carry or a charge that they cannot keep. You know, our God, he may stretch us and try us and test us and demand the world from us. But at the same time, he always supplies what we need to meet the challenges of this life. Sometimes you go through things in this life and you wonder, how in the world did I ever, ever make it through it? And then suddenly you realize it was God. It was God with His power, His sustaining grace, all of His gifts, who was there for you every day. And so, beloved, all of this should give Moses sufficient reason to tie his sandals, hitch up his robes, and go to Egypt. Only he didn't. Read verse 13. Oh Lord, please send someone else to do it. And by the way, in the original there is no please. This is a niv nicety. Rather, Moses says to God, not me. Lord, find someone else. But God will have none of it. Finally, we are told the Lord's anger burned against Moses. God had put up with a great deal from this servant. But one thing he's not prepared to accept was refusal. Moses has to go. It's God's will. He's it. But yet even then, even in anger, God's anger, there's mercy. For you can read about it in the last part of our text how God recruited Aaron. He has a mouse, he has a hand, he has a staff, he has Aaron, but above all he has God. And so off you go. And go he did. And in the end, his excuses did not derail God's divine plan. God's will prevailed. In spite of Moses, it prevailed. 
Yes, and as we hear all of this and as we reflect on all of this, surely we are challenged to ask ourselves. We're also being challenged to ask, what kind of a servant am I? A reluctant one? A weak and vacillating one? A rebellious one? You know, later on, Moses is going to become known far and wide as the mediator of the Old Testament. But that has very little to do with him and everything to do with God. And in addition, it has everything to do with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the perfect mediator. For when it comes to our serving and doing, our working and our efforts, Moses is not our model. No, our model is Christ. For look, when he came into the world, he received a far more demanding and painful task than Moses ever did. But you'll notice no excuses, no roadblocks, no barriers came out of his mouth or were ever erected by him. He pleaded with God to remove the cup of suffering. And God said, no. And he went on. And he went on all the way to the cross. And all the way into death and into the grave. He showed himself to be our perfect sin bearer. Our complete punishment taker. And our true wrath receiver. He is our great example when it comes to serving and to service. And He is our great enabler too when it comes to the same thing. And He's our great Savior when it comes to dealing with all the failures in our serving as well. And so mothers and parents and deacons and elders, all of you look to Him and imitate Him Serve as he served. Learn from him. Lean on him. Find forgiveness and grace in him. And if you do, it will one day win you that supreme accolade. Well done. Good and faithful servants enter into the joy of your master. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.